Hey everyone, welcome to the Oregon Libertarian Podcast. Uh, my name is Will Hobson, and today I'm going to be your Liberty uh, LeVar Burton and talk to you about some different kids' books I think that uh, you should read to your kids that, uh, you know, offer them some ideas they probably won't find in other kids' books. So I, I definitely am very much a proponent of reading to your kids um uh you know every day if you can uh if they're willing <laughs> um sometimes they're not always willing to be read to or to read with you but um yeah nurturing that lifelong uh love of reading is definitely super important um but today uh i'm going to go into some books i think that um people with younger children this is typically going to be for um like the first decade uh, of life, you know, uh, kids up to 10, uh, will probably enjoy these books and, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, let's get, uh, let's get into, it. uh, some, uh, some of my favorites that I've read to my kid. Um, uh, first up, this was a book that I read to my daughter and then I read to her kindergarten class, uh, when she was little, uh, this is a book by Eric Carl. And it's called Pancakes, Pancakes. And it's a really fun uh, little book. Obviously, kids always love Eric Carle books. And most people, um, you know, even the normies, as we call them, will probably see an Eric Carle book and be like, oh, yeah, no problem with that. Love me some Eric Carle. Uh, but this book uh, really teaches some really in... It really is like some foundational like insights into economics that uh, I think some kids sometimes kind of lose in the modern society. Uh, in this book, a young boy wants to have pancakes for breakfast. And I think a lot of kids are under the impression like, oh, pancakes come out of a box and it's a powder. You just mix it with some water or milk and then you have pancakes, right? Or an egg or yeah, you have pancakes, right? And so we take kind of for granted how uh you know easy things are nowadays in a in our capitalist society where we have so many different products and they're so inexpensive and everything's kind of already been done for us but in pancakes pancakes the little boy is told by his mother like no 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 if you want pancakes you're gonna have to we're gonna need some butter and he's like okay i'll grab and then she's like no you were gonna have to make the butter and so then he has to go uh milk a cow churn butter on the churn and then bring that back and then he's like okay can i get it's time for pancakes right and he's like no no no. now we need fl uh flour and they haven't even uh really processed the grain so basically the boy has to like take a bunch of grain to the miller like walk up the hill to the miller get it ground into into flour and bring it back and he's like, okay, it's time now, right? And the mother says, no, no, you got to get eggs. You got to basically have to go through like all these different processes uh, to make something as simple as pancakes. And it takes a lot of work. And I, I really enjoyed reading that to uh, her kindergarten class and watching all the kids be like, oh, wow, that is a lot of work. Man, it's really easy now. And uh, I think that's really foundational economic reality that you know even adults probably we get so um 
used to the convenience we live in modern society that we forget where we came from and how much effort it actually takes to make some of the things that we enjoy. Uh, so yeah, appreciation for that is, that's a, a great book. Again, that's Eric Carl's Pancakes, Pancakes. Um, that's definitely for like very, very young children. So, um, moving on to, uh, some other books, um, I'll get into, uh, some of the, um, Dr. Seuss books that I have today that I, I really enjoyed reading. And a lot of these books I'm going to be suggesting are not, you know, like things like, oh yeah, well, I already own that. A lot of the, these, most people probably, these probably wouldn't be like in every child's like small little library at home or they, they would, these wouldn't be books that are like really commonly read. So I'm trying to pick things that are a little less common. So um, many people probably haven't seen this Dr. Seuss book. You've all probably seen Green Eggs and Ham and One Fish, Two Fish, uh, Red Fish, Blue Fish and all that stuff, but have you ever read Fidwick the Big Hearted Moose? It's a very interesting uh, book. Um, basically, the, you know, the, the basic plot to it is Thidwick is a moose and he has his moose friends and he's hanging out and uh, a bug comes to land on his horns and asks, hey, <laughs> if it's okay, could I take a rest here? And Thidwick, being just a nice guy, says, sure. Yeah, no problem. Make yourself at home. And the bug's like, all right, cool. And and a bird comes by, and the bug invites the bird, like, hey, you want to hang out here? Like, this is a great place. To, like, the moose is cool. He's he's not, he said I could stay here. And the bird's like, oh, thanks. And uh, then they, you know, like a you know, family of squirrels come by, and they're all invited in. And suddenly, you know, like the moose, like, looks up. And he's like, oh, hey, uh, where'd you all come from? Like, and the the bug who got invited, you know, invited all these people, and they just assumed he he would be altruistic and you know, uh, all, all uh, allow for all these uh, other people to join him too. And of course, him being a nice guy, he says, "Well, I guess that's okay. Uh, wish you know, kind of wish you to ask you, but it's all right. You know, I'm a I'm a good guy, and I'm going to help these people out, uh, or these other animals out." And uh, as you can see, it starts to snowball from there. Uh, it, more and more animals take up residency in his horns and like hang out there. Even a bear at one point at the very end, which gets kind of ridiculous. But um, yeah, so there's this just big uh, mass of animals sitting on his horns. And he's like, hey, you know, like I, he's like, I, it's time for me to migrate, you know, to the other side of the lake because that's where the food is. And he gets, starts to go to cross the lake and all the animals scream bloody murder. Like, no, you can't do that. We'll drown. Like you're risking us all going swimming across this lake. And he's like, well, I'm sorry. What, what, what's there to be done? Like I, I need to eat. And then they all say, well, let's take a vote. And now you can kind of see that, oh, the dark side of this book is, and what it's trying to teach people is, you know, um, you know, democracy can be used for evil. And guess what happens? The vote, uh, all the animals in the horns vote that Didwick can't go in the water. And even uh, Didwick loses because he only has one vote. All the animals have like 13. And they all congratulate each other and talk about the, the you know, like, oh, the system works, democracy works. Um, but as you can tell, Didwick is the victim in this. Uh, you know, democracy has now... Uh, punished the minority, which is actually, honestly, the definition of what democracy does. It's the victimization of the minority by the majority. 
And uh, yeah, it's a big, uh, I guess, red pill for probably even other people being like, oh yeah, I've never really thought of that way. Yeah, that is kind of what democracy does. It's not just an inherent good. It uh, can definitely be used for for evil. And, um, you know, and then eventually, you know, the hunters, hunting season starts and Didwick, you know, gets shot at and uh, he's trying to evade all these hunters and the animals are are all, you know, on his horns too, are all freaking out too because they're being, because, uh, you know, everyone's being shot at. And, but Didwick is kind of like saving, is, you know, getting to the point where like the weight on his horns is like uh, jeopardizing his, his life. Uh, and, uh, at a certain point he decides like, oh, Hey, it's time for me to lose my horns. It's time for me to shed them. So he says, okay, you know what? If you want my horns so much you can have them. And he like flicks them off towards the hunters and all the animals go flying toward them. Uh, and the, he gets to safety, uh, and reunites with his moose friends. Uh, but this is probably one of the darkest endings of a dark Dr. Seuss book because the very final page is all of the essentially bad guys, all the the freeloaders that took advantage of the moose, um, all stuffed on the mantelpiece of like a hunting uh, lodge, or I think it's like the Harvard Hunting Club or something. And um, they all have X's in their eyes. And it's, it's a very, it's a very brutal, uh, dark ending for a Dr. Seuss book. But you know, sometimes I think kids um, should be exposed to those, you know, dark endings is more like, you know, Hansel and, or, you know, Grimm's fairy tales, you know, like we're not going to pull too many punches for kids. Like sometimes the bad guys die. Um, but yeah, the bad, all the bad guys die at the, the end of this book in a Dr. Seuss book. And that's very unique. Um, so uh, I do still recommend it, reading it to kids. And cause I think it does teach some important lessons of standing up for yourself and that not democracy isn't uh, democracy can definitely be used for evil. Uh, and that is some unique lessons I think that children won't learn in other places. Okay, so, uh, and then some other uh, Dr. Seuss books that uh, I would recommend. One's I'm going at the, uh, on the 19th at the um, Rage Against the War Machine rally, I'm going to be bringing uh, some copies of a book called The Butter Battle Book. And for those not familiar with the Butter Battle book, it is essentially a Cold War allegory uh, where there are these two uh, two countries that live side by side with a wall separating them, the uh, the country of the Ukes and the country of the Zooks. And it is uh, basically the, the, the big, the only main difference besides the fact that they wear different colored jump, jumpsuits, one's blue, one's orange, is that one eats their toast with the t uh, the butter side up, and one eats their toast with the butter side down. And this is an unacceptable difference, you know, that keeps them separated by a wall and, you know, keeps them from, you know, communicating, commingling. So uh, basically, um, it's a, it's kind of like an art, the, the main plot of the story is kind of like an arms race between the two sides where they invent bigger and bigger weapons to like scare each other and to show how tough they are. Uh, and it teaches a lot of really interesting things. It teaches, you know, uh, kids, you know, like, Hey, this is how propaganda is used to like convince you that you're on the good side and the other side's the bad side. This is, it convinces, uh, it teaches, you know, um, nationalism and how it kind of short circuits people's critical thinking skills. Um, it teaches, you know, you know, you know, basically, uh, 
you know, spiral, how spiraling escalation works and how that can endanger people. Uh, and yeah, at the end of the, uh, at the end of the book, um, they essentially, they create, they don't say it, but they essentially create the bomb. Uh, they, uh, and it comes in the form of a small, like red ball that if you drop it, everything around it is destroyed. Um, and, uh, it's a, yeah, you can definitely see the, it, the very obvious, uh, uh, I guess, um, example to today, you know, where we're dealing with, you know, nuclear, the prospect of nuclear war and it's trying to, um, you know, send home to people that like, you know, maybe this terrible path we were on, maybe there are some off ramps that we can take and we don't have to do this. Uh, and I really like, uh, I'll just read for you the very last page of this book where the, the, the grandfather for the, uh, the Zooks is facing off with one of the Ukes, uh, on the top of the wall and they each have a red, the red ball that if they drop it, I guess it creates like a nuclear, uh, uh, weapons blast, but, uh, the basically the last book says, Grandpa, I shouted, be careful. Oh, gee, who's going to drop it? Will you or will he? Be patient, said Grandpa. We'll see. We will see. And so it kind of leaves that open-ended question of whether we face, whether we will face the mutually assured destruction that um, nuclear war uh, could definitely give us. So um, I think it's a very poignant uh, book. Uh, I don't, I do see it in some libraries and I do see uh, it in, I, I definitely think some people have read it, but I don't think nearly enough people have. I think this is one of those books, like it's not one of the canceled Dr. Seuss books, but it's definitely one where nowadays it's not a message that a lot of people really want to drive home, but I think it really needs to be driven home. And this book should be purchased and given out as much as possible to children to keep them from, uh, you know, just being blind supporters of the state and of war um, and not, you know, you know, value de-escalation. And uh, because, you know, like maybe somebody throws a punch and you have every right to throw a punch back, but then they're going to throw a punch and then things are going to get worse. And sometimes, you know, like it's maybe it's not the most libertarian, you know, uh, principle of ever, but like sometimes turning the other cheek leads to less, uh, less, less violence. And, uh, um, you know, there, there are some days where I, I, you know, I would never say someone, you have to turn the other cheek, but sometimes taking, taking some small front or some small pain and not turning it into like a vicious, you know, spiral of, of anger and violence and reprisal and revenge. Sometimes that's the much better way. And, uh, I would preach that to other people and to definitely to children. Um, the other book, the other Dr. Seuss book, which is, this one is pretty common. People have seen it as uh Yertle the turtle the classic story of the, of the dictator who, you know, tries to do too much. And then all he's all of a sudden he's on top of the world and he's the big, bad, the big, the big strong man. And then all of a sudden he's not. And uh, that's a great book. Definitely recommend it. I don't feel like I have to say too much about it because that is actually one of the more com. It is kind of a more common book, um, in people's libraries. So. Yeah, but yeah, super, still great. Would highly recommend it. Beardle the Turtle, all day long. Um, there is, uh, definitely I have uh, the Tuttle Twins coming up here. Uh, I'm going to cover that. Uh, I'm going to cover a particular one that I think is great for Oregon. 
Uh, and then I have uh, Peter Schiff's uh, How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. Um, these are books, honestly, for older kids that I would, uh, uh, you know, recommend. Honestly, some adults really could read these and probably get a lot from it. <laughs> uh, but I, I really like the fact that these ideas are made entertaining um, and uh, accessible to like younger kids. Like there's color, these, all these books have nice color pictures. They're, they're very pretty. Uh, the ideas are set in a fun story setting. So people kind of, they, it kind of connect, they kind of can connect with the characters, but like, okay, I, if I was in that situation, I would think that way or do that thing. There's a lot uh there's a lot of these books. Um, but really quick, I want to take a quick break and tell you like 30 seconds and tell you about Peacock Coffee, which is the coffee brand that I am starting. Um, it's going to be uh, very uh, focused on selling uh, coffee from countries that have been affected by war. Not all, all of my coffee will be coming from like, uh, like Ethiopia or Yemen. Uh, we will have some Central American uh, varieties, but every bag uh, sold on the website here when, once we're about to launch, uh, hopefully at the end of this month, uh, will donate $1 to foreign aid organizations. And the current foreign aid organization I'm working with is Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. They're doing life-saving work for people in Yemen, and I've thoroughly vetted them. Uh, multiple people have that I trust, too, have vetted them. And uh, couldn't recommend them highly enough for uh, you know helping kids, you know, uh, and, you know, be fed and for, or uh, they do a lot of orphan support too. Uh, and they do a, a myriad of other things. They're really great. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to start this coffee brand to, um, you know, to promote peace, uh, you know, peace activism. It's going to, uh, give, uh, you know, advertising dollars are only going to go to, uh, content creators that have peace driven content. Um, I'm only going to ever employ, people that have already had shown a history of doing peace activism. Once I do get to the point where I'm maybe if I'm larger, uh, it's going to employ me obviously. And hopefully everyone knows I'm a peace activist. So, <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And then the foreign aid organization. So, and it's going to be great coffee too. So it's not going to be a slouch. So anyway, I probably went longer than 30 seconds there on that ad, but that's what I'm going to be doing. So if you go to peacehawk.coffee, thank you, Gregor. I appreciate that. Putting that in the chat. Uh, if you go to peacehawk coffee, drop your email, um, we'll update people once we're about to launch Scott Horton's now advertising for me and I'm starting to see a lot of, uh, uh, signups roll in. So that's great. That's coming. Let's get on it. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Peacehawk.coffee. Thank you. All right. So now, uh, there is another author that is a little bit newer on the scene that I wanted to, uh, point people to. Um, so we've covered, yeah, Dr. Seuss and, um, yeah, Eric Carl, and those are pretty well known. Uh, this woman isn't as well known. Uh, Julie uh, Bar uh, Bar Barowski. Uh, so Ju Julie, as you'd normally spell it. And then Bar Barowski is B-O-R-O-W-S-K-I. And she has, I think, produced two books so far, from what I'm aware of. Um, the, uh, the Peaceful Porcupine and the How... Um, excuse me, I want to make sure I'm getting the, the title for this right. Nobody Knows How to Make a Pizza. And Nobody Knows How to Make a Pizza is based off of the I Pencil essay, which is basically saying the economy is so complex that no one person really knows how to make 
some of the mass produced products that uh, exist because there's so many inputs and so many people work on them. And um, yeah, how to make a pizza goes through like, okay, do you really know how to make a pizza? And it says like, how do you get the grain? Like uh, you farm it like, okay, you, you farm it, but you're doing that with your bare hands. And like, no, you're using a tractor. How do you make a tractor? Like, well, okay, you got to go to a factory to make the tractor and you have to, you know, take the grain to the, the mill and the mills, it's own thing. And who makes the machines and who makes um, the things for the people, the tools that for the people that make those machines and who feeds those people while they're making the machines. And it kind of just spider webs out all these different people who are involved in that would be necessary for the creation of these mass uh, produced products that we enjoy at very low prices. Uh, and uh, I think it's a really great book. Um, maybe it's not the best worded because I think people could make a very crude pizza, but the definitely the author is right. Nobody knows how to make that pizza or like all the way, all, all of the inputs that are necessary to make that pizza, that high quality pizza at that specific price, that would be astronomical, the expensive to make it. Uh, if one person was like in charge of it, a central planner. And that's kind of the, the point is that economics actually works most efficiently and most robustly when it is not planned, when it is, there is um, spontaneous order, which is like people working together through the price system, through capitalism, through voluntary exchange. Um, uh, they eventually come up with these, these products that we enjoy. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really fun thing for kids to be like, oh, what do you mean? I know how to make a pizza. And they're like, you know, do you really though? Like, and you, you kind of explore that with kids and they, it's a lot of fun. Um, and then the Peaceful Porcupine that uh, Julie uh, Borowski uh, does is a really cute little story about this little woodland porcupine that's trying to make friends. But the porcupine, porcupines are obviously armed to the teeth. They've got quills, they've got claws, they've got teeth. Uh, and all the animals are like, no, no, thanks. You're just waiting to stab me with your quills or scratch me with your claws or eat me. Like, I, I don't want to be your friend. And Porcupine, uh, finally just a sigh and goes about its day. And then there's like this baby bunny, I guess, that gets caught out in the middle of the night. And it, all of these predators are just like circling her like, like, oh, this, this rabbit is, is dinner. And the porcupine runs in, uh, runs into the baby bunny. He's like, "I'll protect you." And then all the animals are like, "Oh, screw that! I'm not messing with the porcupine. Let's get out of here, guys!" <laughs> like this porcupine is, uh, we can't mess with this porcupine. And so the baby bunny's like, "Oh, wow! Thank you for saving me. I guess you're, you know, all of your, you know, your quills, all your weapons, essentially." And that's the allegory. Like they, they were useful for defending uh, your friends. Uh, and that is definitely a very libertarian, uh, you know, a concept, but the, also the, the other concept is that they're not using your weapons to hurt people. You're using them to defend people. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously I, I agree with that and yeah, it's a great kid's book that, that shows that just because people have the capability for violence doesn't mean that they'll necessarily, uh, exercise it. So, yes, uh, Julie Borowski, again, her last name is spelled, and I'm, maybe I'm pronouncing it because I'm not great with pronouncing last names, is B-O-R-O-W-S-K-I. Julie, yeah. So, uh, she's a cool little uh, new author doing liberty-based books. 
So, uh, and then of course we have the Tuttle Twins. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Tuttle Twins. They are the kind of the big rock star on the uh, children's literature scene in the Liberty sense. Um, they uh, they do a bunch of different books that cover a bunch of different libertarian topics. I really like how they go. They take like a very erudite, uh, thick um, like Austrian economics or Liberty you know, book, you know, meant for adults, meant to basically put adults without the attention span uh, of a saint to sleep. And they, uh, they, they condense it down into a colored children's book that makes the, puts the ideas into a story, makes them accessible, you know? And the other thing I really like about the Soul Twins is it empowers children. They say like, you're not just, you know, uh, you know, pets for your parents to have, like, like you're not just some, some, somebody to feed and to send off to school. And eventually you'll grow spontaneously into an adult. It's saying like, no, you are kids, but you're, you're future adults. So let's start teaching you things and start teaching you skills and teaching you how much power you actually have. Uh, and the total twins do that really well. And this book, uh, the food truck fiasco, I think is particularly, um, good for Oregon because we, you know, here in Oregon, Portland area, at least we have so many food trucks and it is just a part of our cuisine. And I can't imagine many kids go through their childhood without their parents hitting up food trucks pretty often. And so it's definitely a part of their life and they probably connect with that very easily. And the, the cool thing about this is that I think a lot of people, even on the left would also be on board with the message that this book has, which is basically uh, it teaches children to fight for the little guy, which is not a bad thing. Like the, these, these food trucks are usually very small entrepreneurs. Sometimes this is their very first business and they're just trying to figure things out and they don't have like an HR department. They don't have like uh, expensive lawyers to look up, you know, what regulations they can, uh, they can kind of get around, you know, like they, they're, they're usually there in the kitchen, making the product, being the customer service, being the boss, being the accountant, being uh, the security guard, being everything. Uh, and the um, larger, more established businesses know this and know it is easier to drive them off if they can get certain regulations passed uh, because these larger companies that have sunk a lot of money into certain investments know that, Hey, if, you know, some business comes by uh, and can just like op, you know, start, you know, start something up with a few, you know, couple, you know, 10,000, $20,000, you know, and, and really start to eat into my, my revenue. Like I could, I could be in some serious trouble. So instead of becoming more competitive, talking to the food cart business, working out some kind of voluntary thing that, um, you know, allows them, you know, some, some relief or in the market or just become more competitive themselves and try to, uh, try to offer a better product at a better price. They go to government, typically local governments and try to pass ordinances to limit the ability of these food trucks to operate even though that's maybe what the consumer wants is some, a cheaper option. They, uh, they, they are incentivized to use the, the force of the state, the monopoly of the state on violence to enforce, uh, to get these, uh, ref, you know, regulations passed that make it more difficult to operate. And the, the Tuttle twins in the, uh, in the series, uh, they figure that out that these adults are dealing with this problem and they want to help. 
and they they organize this awareness campaign and they engage in a civil disobedience event to like fight off the there's like a big bad um barbecue place uh that barbecue barbecue brick and mortar barbecue restaurant that doesn't serve very good food and is feeling threatened by it and it's the owner is like some guy with a mustache and a cowboy hat and you know i think a lot of people i think a lot of people on the left they i think they kind of need some more coaxing towards these ideas so i think this would make it very palatable to them because they'll be like oh well that's just some republican like that cool let's get that guy that guy is using the government for for evil like i i really think a lot of <laughs> these people people on the left can be brought over to ideas but they they do need a lot of coaxing and i feel like this book provides a significant level of coaxing for people to get to these ideas um and and yeah the tunnel twins yeah they engage in the civil di disobedience campaign they they write to the media the media in this particular case isn't that half half that bad and the fact that the kids are are that they're kids that are organizing this like makes the news story interesting enough that they cover it and they get people to come to like the city council meetings put heat on the local city government and the city government folds and does the right thing for the wrong reason and the book kind of you know illustrates that it's like they're probably just really worried about being reelected, and not so much about like oh i see your point and that is the right thing to do get these regulations removed so these food trucks can operate um but uh yeah yeah it's a it's a great book uh it teaches kids that they can make change in their local government they can engage in civil disobedience uh that they're just because something is lawful doesn't mean it's moral this book cuts right through that. So um, that's a really great, Tuttle, one of my really favorite Tuttle Twins books. This is the book I think uh, people in Oregon should be getting for their kids and giving with to their lefty liberal friends because I think this is the one that would like be most palatable to them and maybe, you know, open them up to trying other Tuttle Twins books, which they run the gamut on subjects. I'm not going to get into that, that today because I could spend a whole podcast series doing doing those so um i think this is the last one for today um and yeah if you guys have any uh suggestions you can drop them in the comments but uh one i really like and this is one my daughter actually has said she likes me to read to her at uh when she, well, a couple of years ago she said this like likes to read to me at her bedtime was how an economy grows and why it crashes by peter shift and i will say a caveat really quick of course i don't agree with peter's stance on bitcoin i uh, i definitely think he's wrong on that however he is an austrian economist and he did get a lot of things right during the financial uh collapse in the great recession and i think his book how an economy grows and why it crashes teaches some really important basic basic economics it packages it in a way that even if you're you know, allergic to learning even the most simple, simplest concept of economics. This makes it so entertaining that people can get through it and really start to understand it. Basically, the premise of the book is that there's this uh, deserted island with three guys on it. Uh, they're all in like uh, palm frond skirts and they, basically nobody has anything. They have uh, no tools, no save, no saved up food or savings, um, no shelter. 
they're just kind of living on the beach and it takes one day to catch one fish by hand, like just from like luck and like odds. And uh, yeah, eventually they'll catch one fish and they'll have just enough energy uh, at the end of the day to like, uh, I guess, gut it and cook it and eat it. And then that's uh, on a fire and that that's all they can do. And then they go to sleep and then the next day is the same thing. It's like basic subsistence living uh, without any entertainment or, you know, uh, comforts. That's it. And one of the guys has the great idea of like, hey, what if I made something that allowed me to catch fish faster? Then I'd have more free time to do other things. And that, and this thus be, you know, uh, essentially begets the basic concept of capital, of building capital and trying to elevate your standard of living. And, um, and from there, all these other economic, you know, um, concepts flow like, okay, now that this guy has the net and now he's catching two fish a day instead of one, he has potential savings. He can offer to the other three, two guys that are still catching by hand to like, it's like, okay, I can loan you a fish for a day, uh, to make a net. And, but then I want like two fish back, which is like interest. So it's like, it's a business loan. It's, you know, the concept of the most basic of business loans. Uh, and then the book grapples like, well, why doesn't he just give him the fish? And uh, the, the book kind of grapples with that, you know, like, is it greedy to offer a loan and to demand interest? And, um, and this is all illustrated uh, pretty well. And it's done in kind of a fun story as basically from this very humble beginnings, an entire civilization grows with cities and cars and airplanes and, you know, giant fish farms that are able to produce uh, fish in quantities that these, these three guys that start off the story will never see because they never grow old enough to see the, what their civilization that they're kind of bringing about does. But um, yeah, this civilization becomes so wealthy and then it starts to take a turn into like, Hey, how does, uh, you know, the, the civilization starts to decline because of government uh, basically doing nefarious things to kind of sabotage the economy uh, and make it contract. And all these bad ideas start kind of like fil filtering in until, you know, the economy essentially crashes and explains like why it crashed. And uh, it, it's a, it explains in the concepts of inflation and, and where interest rates come from. And it's, it's a really fun book. The drawings are really fun. The, uh, everything is still be, kind of themed as like, everyone's still on like an Island, like, and everyone kind of wears Island clothing. Everyone is still wearing palm frond clothing. It's just a lot nicer. Uh, everyone you know, is using like weird tools. Like a guy is like sawing, you know, he takes out a loan to like, uh, get new, a new, uh, saw, which is actually a swordfish. <laughs> uh, it, and it, all the currency is still in fish and it's just really funny. And, and, and um, uh, there's a lot of humor in this book, um, that makes it, the, the reading process, uh, much more palatable, and yeah, it's, it's a real, I would love it someday if somebody animated this, because I think that would be the, the silver bullet to learning, getting people to learn economics is this story animated, but it is still really, really well illustrated. There is a black and white version of it that you can buy, but if you, there is a fully updated 
colored one called How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. I highly recommend that one for reading to kids. Um, yeah, and honestly, I this is a book I actually read as an adult and really enjoyed it. So while you can do this for children, read this for children, I think adults would very much benefit from from it as well. So um, just buy it. Yeah, it's it's a great book. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, those are uh, those are pretty much the books I wanted to cover today. I, I think the, a lot of these books have very unique lessons, and uh, children really should be exposed to them. You know, and uh, I think we'd live in a better society. And you know, one thing I, I will say: this is just like a personal from like parent, a parent appeal to other parents. Make sure to tell your kids that no matter what ideas they get into their head when they're older. And the reason why I guess this, this isn't propaganda uh, is that I'm giving my daughter ideas so that she doesn't only have the ideas that her school is trying to preach in her head. Like, I don't care if the school preaches their ideas to her, as long as my ideas get to her too, because I know my ideas are superior, but even if she doesn't become like, like me. And I would say to other parents, like, yeah, I understand that you want your kids to kind of be like you, but even if they aren't, even if they're like, you know, the furthest thing from your ideology, it's really, really important to tell your children that you'll always love them. And they really need to hear that um, when they're younger and that like, Hey, no matter what you call yourself politically, like I'll never disown you and you can always come and talk to me. So I think that's, you know, I, I know we get divisive sometimes about politics and stuff, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a parent, you got to make that that proclamation to your kids and to let them know that it's OK to think differently than than me. Like that, that's never going to compromise my love for you. Um, so that that's my personal appeal to parents. Uh, but uh, yeah, <clears throat> anyway, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Um I'll try to do another podcast next week. Sorry, I, I missed uh, a week or two there. Uh, been kind of busy with the uh, Rage Against the War Machine rally uh, and other LPO stuff, but uh, hopefully we'll get a, a little bit more back on the horse. And Peter's been doing really awesome Foreign Policy Fridays. I really encourage you to go listen to them. Uh, uh, they're great. Peter's really knowledgeable guy about foreign policy. Highly recommend uh, his talks with other people. Uh, but yeah. Um, that's all for today. Um, thank you for listening. Have a great, have a great day. Bye. Cheers.